Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We are returning to the book of Mark. So if you are visiting, what we do is we just go through a book of the Bible. and We go verse by verse by verse by verse by verse until we get to the end of it. And that, I think, accomplishes a couple things. One, uh, it gives a systematic presentation of what the Scripture says. But two... There's topics in the Bible that no sane preacher would decide to preach on. I mean, just of their own, of your own free will and volition, most preachers are going to gravitate towards subjects that are easier to talk about. So you you remember that right before Easter, uh, I mean, we were we were flying the plane uh, just straight into the ground, is what it feels like. Right before Easter, we talked about hell and the wrath of God. And then Jesus decides uh, in the book of Mark that we'll go right from the subject of hell to divorce and remarriage. So we just were like, this is, this is, these are great subjects back to back, at least from my point of view. It's super exciting. But it's necessary. If we don't talk about what the Bible talks about, the world and the culture that we live in will talk about it for us. And they will very convincingly teach whatever the current system of the world is, uh, we'll, they'll teach that. And every generation has dealt with this. This isn't unique. Every generation has dealt with um, a culture that is antithetical to what the Scripture teaches. Um, except in those rare, rare occasions where those who believe in Scripture have dictated to the culture what the culture thinks. America is actually one of those rare places. Britain was one of those rare places. Various cultures throughout history have had that happen, but it doesn't happen very often because Jesus made this lovely promise, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. And the reason he made that lovely promise is because Jesus was saying things that went sideways across prevailing wisdom of the culture. And whenever you and I are following the Bible, you will, without question, go sideways to the prevailing wind of the culture. Because the culture is dominated primarily by sinful mankind. And the, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world or the system of the thinking of the world. Uh, we are we are at odds with it. In fact, um, this is all relevant to what we're going to look at today. We are at odds with it because we are representing a different kingdom, the kingdom of our God and our Father in heaven is breaking into the culture that we're in. Now, America's got its own culture. If you're in uh, if you're in the east, there's a culture. If you're in the south. There's a culture, but if you go outside of America, you find that the culture gets really different. If you're in South America or the continent of Africa or into Asian countries, there's all kinds of different cultures. But the kingdom of God and the gospel will advance into every culture. It'll just have different conflicts inside those cultures. I promise all this little speech is relevant to what we're going to look at today. So 
what we're going to look at today, right on the back, right on the tail end of talking about uh, divorce and remarriage, and we are going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Because there's an element of culture in here that will not make sense to us at all. So we're going to, let's read these verses and then we're going to ask for God's blessing uh, on the sermon and go, go from there. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for its truth. God, we are not approaching it to interpret it in a way that suits us. Lord, we are asking for your help to hear your spirit. God, to be led by you so that we can hear what you are saying. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Lord, help me to communicate. I I know I ask this every week, but Lord, I need help to communicate clearly what you're saying in these verses. We thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to note is is that we're obviously talking about children uh, and it's right on the tail end of having talked about divorce and remarriage. I think there is a connection there. I'm not going to belabor that point. One thing I do want to follow up with on what when we did talk about divorce and remarriage, and that is, is that there is forgiveness, there is redemption, there is restoration for everybody who is in a situation where you are divorced, remarried, single as a result of divorce, whatever the case may be, God is able to heal, to restore, and to help in every one of those situations, including the kids who are affected by it. So I want to say that, but I also want to say that biblically, the ideal, the the way that God wants it to be, is to have two-parent households raising children. That is the ideal. It is not ideal for there to be a single-parent home. God can do anything and does with massive amounts of grace. You really need to hear that if you're a single mom or a single dad. There are massive amounts of grace that God, that he provides, but it's not the ideal. The ideal is a husband and a wife raising the children together. So I just want to point that out. And the very, the next flow here in the book of Mark is they're bringing children to him. So Jesus, wherever he is, remember the book of Mark doesn't always follow a chronology. So, so we don't know exactly where this is inserted, but we know that Mark and his uh, description of, of the gospel uh, story of Jesus, he sticks it right here and he says, they're bringing children to him. Who, who is bringing children? Well, the crowds of people that are following Jesus, they're bringing him children that he might touch them. Or in, in the purpose of that, they were wanting a blessing from Jesus. They wanted him to put his hands on them and pray over them and pronounce a blessing over them. And 
the disciples warmly embrace the children because they were so cute is not what verse 13 says. What the disciples do, and it sounds really harsh because it is, they rebuked somebody. It says them. So who does that belong to? Them. Well, some commentators will tell you they rebuked the kids, but it's probably more likely, based on verse 16, that he took them in his arms. But it's probably more likely that he was the disciples rebuking the parents that were bringing the children. In, in essence, the disciples were saying, he, he doesn't have time for this. We got more important stuff going on than these kids. That's, that's what's happening here. We've got bigger fish to fry. So it's hard to imagine that's the way they thought, but that is the way that they thought. Now, I mentioned that there's a cultural thing here that we're not going to understand. And I mentioned this several weeks ago. But the cultural difference is, in the first century, kids were not viewed as precious little bundles of cuteness the same way that we think of little kids. They really weren't. I, I brought uh, one of the commentaries I'm using is from William Lane. I want to read you something he writes about this. Um, which is really kind of gruesome and shocking. This is, uh, this is what he says about the culture. Um, Jesus' final action was, a, was as significant as his words. His genuine love of children and the tenderness expressed in taking them into his arms and blessing them through prayer and laying on of hands can only be properly appreciated within the context of the calloused attitudes toward children that still prevailed within Hellenistic society in the first century. So the Greek-speaking society of the first century, this is what they thought. We found a, a papyrus dated Alexandria, June 17th in the first century, containing a letter from a husband to his expectant wife, who he supposes may have had her child. So he's away, he's writing a letter back home to his pregnant wife. And this is what was in the letter. If it's a male child, let it live. If it's a female, cast it out. That was normal. In fact, the early church actually gained a reputation for being a place of compassion because one of the things they would do, this was a regular practice in Rome, if you did not want the baby, all you had to do was put it in a basket and set it outside. I know that sounds like there is no way that's the way it was. That's the way that it was. There were wild roving dogs all throughout Rome and throughout the provinces, and the dogs would take care of the baby. So, all of us struggle to make that connection because that just doesn't seem possible. Now, I have lots I might say about that later because we have a culture that has no problem doing it. Just scooch that back a couple months and we'll just medically do that in the womb through abortion. So, so I'm not sure how different that is, but... 
But putting a child in a basket and leaving it outside overnight gives you an idea of the value placed on children. We've discussed that the mortality rate was so high, it was a 50-50 chance of survival. Uh, that means a lot of babies died. Um, with that in mind, the idea of a child's value increased as it got older. Because as the child got older, then we could put it to work. So that was really the value that was was viewed with, with a child was we've got to see if, if this baby's going to live past the age of seven or eight years old because there's so many diseases and so many complications that they did not have medicine or remedies for like we do today. We have so many blessings today that we take for granted. What NICUs and PICUs and all the things, babies that survive today born at 24 weeks that it's not even fathomable, even 20 years ago. The, the, the grace that God has given us through medicine is unbelievable. And we just take it as a matter of course. We are in such a unique place in history, the, the blessings that God has given us. So in this first century, with their attitude being what it is, the disciples share the attitude of the culture. Not that they were willing to uh, put babies out in baskets, but the overall general sense that children really weren't that important. Children were secondary. Children were on the back burner. Children were only useful as they got older and became useful. Jesus is showing us something about himself, about God, but he's also using this as a lesson about the kingdom of God. So look at the, the very next verse. But when Jesus saw it, when he sees them, the disciples rebuking these parents bringing the children, Jesus was indignant, which is a fancy way of saying really annoyed and frustrated, and said to them, let the children come to me. Which would have, it have been like, you're really going to pay attention to the kids? Yes, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So, so Jesus is telling them that these children, not only are they important and I want them near me, He's saying that this is who the kingdom of God belongs to. And then he goes on in verse 15 and he, he emphasizes his point and he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it or enter it. So now we've got a problem. Because Jesus has just said, if you are not like a child you can't receive or enter into the kingdom of God. How many of you have heard this before? We've all heard this before. This is one of those famous verses, but it's really worth trying to get inside to figure out what exactly is he trying to say. So I want you to go, uh, stay in the book of Mark, and go to chapter 1 to the thesis statement of the book of Mark. Jesus uh, begins his ministry in chapter 1, and we, we spent some time on this when we first got into the book of Mark, 
It was right after John the Baptist was arrested. Verse 14 says he comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the message that we find in all the gospels that Jesus begins to proclaim, which is the time is fulfilled, the time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. Turn, repent means turn from this, turn to the kingdom. Repent and come and believe in the good news in the gospel. So we need to understand that because Jesus is saying that in order for you to enter into this kingdom that is at hand, according to Mark chapter 1, you have to be like a child. So let's go back to Mark 15, where we were, Mark chapter 10. I use the iPad so I don't have to wear the glasses because just, I've just hit that spot where the iPad, the words are bigger. I'm not quite to where Jennifer is, where she has on her phone, she's got a text message, and a, it'll be three words to the whole page. It's like that. It's like everybody makes fun of her. But, um, but at least she can read it, and she's not doing this. So that's, that's where I'm at now. It just, it's like it happened overnight. It's like I don't, I don't know what I did. I ate something sideways, and then my eyes quit working. So just thought I'd share that with everybody. While you're getting back to Mark chapter 10. So we really need to understand what the kingdom of God is. Let's, I mean, we hear it all the time. It's, it's over 130 times in the Gospels that the, that the phrase the kingdom of God is used. So it is a favorite expression uh, of Jesus. We, and it gets debated all the time what exactly the kingdom is. What does it mean? And that's what, what I want to try to define uh, right now. I... I think uh, a simple definition of the kingdom of God is it's his sovereign reign and rule over the universe. But it comes in stages. So, so imagine this. There's nothing that definitively defines throughout Scripture exactly what precisely the kingdom is. It's always described in parables and it's described in ways like this. Like the, the kingdom's here. There's, there's a lot about the kingdom, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but for the sake of us understanding what it is, um, God is the king of the universe. If he is the creator of the universe, he is the king of it. And yet, in his kingdom, there is rebellion. The rebellion, well, I'm looking at it, it's us. We rebelled in our first forefather, Adam, and that rebellion continues until this day. And so part of the promise of God to a covenant people, Israel, was he is going to build a group of people called by his name to proclaim his praises, and he showed all kinds of types and shadows of what was coming in the future by the sacrificial system in Israel, by the holiness code that was in Israel, the law, the commandments, the prophets, all of that going on in Israel, God started that, and that went on for several thousand years, 
And then Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. It is now. And the reason he can say that, the way that he said it, is he is the king in the flesh among those people to tell them the stages are progressing. So there's this element of the kingdom of God that is now, because Jesus told it, told us that it was in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand, but there's also a sense of not yet. So theologians say this all the time, the kingdom of God is now and it is not yet. It's the easiest way in my mind to keep it straight that the kingdom of God is now because Jesus came to the earth as the incarnate Son of God to demonstrate what the kingdom was all about through His ministry and to proclaim the good news and to birth the church through the sending of the Holy Spirit to have a wide worldwide proclamation for the last 2,000 years of proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand in Christ. And eventually, he will consummate the kingdom. He will end all of this rebellion. And he will bring the new heavens and the new earth in the return of Christ. And everything that we're dealing with now will be over. Praise the Lord. We're just not there yet. That's where we are headed. The hope of every Christian is the bodily resurrection that we all are going to share in Christ where we reign and rule with Him. There's the language, reign and rule, because we're talking about a kingdom, and it's God's kingdom, and He calls us in, and it's hard to even fathom as joint heirs with Christ that we reign and rule together forever and ever and ever. It's going to be awesome. We're just not there yet. Where we are, though, now, the kingdom of the kingdom that we have now is the one that Jesus inaugurated. He is reigning and ruling in the individual hearts of every person who names Jesus Christ as Lord. And every time somebody becomes a believer, the kingdom of God <clears throat> advances. Every time. The purpose of our ministries as individuals is to be a representative of that kingdom to the world. And I started the sermon by saying, if you do that, you will tick some people off. And I don't mean because you're trying to be a jerk online. You're cyber warrior. X23, and I'm going to tell people they're all going to burn in hell, which is true, but it's maybe not the best representation of the kingdom that you could come up with. Or, and this doesn't happen very often, you get in somebody's face maybe at work. Well, really the problem now is not so much that. There are a few people who are like that, but our fear of being associated with those people keeps us from actually being representatives of the kingdom that are vocal about what the kingdom represents because the kingdom represents all kinds of things that the world doesn't like. Because we have to lay down pride and selfishness. We have to lay down our views of 
human sexuality. We have to lay down our views of the way we think things should be or the culture we live in tells us it should be. We have to submit to the king of the kingdom, which is why he told us in Mark chapter 1, the time is now, it is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So when you come back here, now we're a couple years into Jesus' ministry, and little kids are brought to him, and the disciples are annoyed and say, get them out. And Jesus says, no, bring them in. Such is the kingdom (coughs) of God. And then he strengthens that. You don't receive the kingdom of God like a child. You can't enter it. So I've talked a little bit about what the kingdom is, the way you enter into the kingdom. (coughs) Excuse me. The way we enter into the kingdom is to do what Jesus said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. Easy. Sermon's over. Right? But there's some assumptions that you may be making, or I may be making, that we need to address. Most people, I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he said he had done this uh, unofficial survey, and he asked people within the church, been in the church for years and years and years, he asked them the famous evangelism explosion question. Anybody know what evangelism explosion is? E.E., Dr. James D. Kennedy? Okay. Definitely, I grew up in the 90s. So um, the question is this. If you were to stand before God and he were to say, Greg, Hannah, why should I let you in? And then what's, what's, your, what's your answer going to be? The pastor said as he asked people that question individually, it wasn't a, it's not a trick question. What would you say if God asked you, why should I let you in? The instinct of almost every person is to say, in essence, my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. I'm a pretty good person. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to live righteously. I'm trying to live holy. I'm trying to do right things. I, do, I don't cheat at work. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't go with girls who do. That was the way I grew up. But, you know, that I don't do any of these things. And so we start listing what we've done, which is not the answer. Because if what you've done would get you to heaven, there wouldn't be all this stuff called the gospel that says your righteousness is like filthy rags. It is not by works lest any man should boast. If it was based on how good you are, you and I could walk around heaven and say, well, actually, I don't know how you got here, but let me tell you how many old ladies I helped out across the street. Let me tell you, 375 a week. And I gave to the United Way, I did this, and then I have a list, and in heaven it's on a plaque of all the things I did right. Here's all the times I was tempted to cheat on my taxes and didn't, just because, you know, tax season just happened. Here's all the times that I that I could have lied and didn't. That's why I'm here, Ashley. That's why I'm here. 
That isn't how it's going to be. Nobody is going to talk or think that way because every one of us in that day will be on our face in worship that we are there because of one person only, Jesus. That's why we're there. Not because of works which we have done, but by His grace we are there. The gospel is, while you are yet sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. The kingdom of God, and you can see it, when Jesus makes the announcement, the time is now, the kingdom is at hand, He is not saying, you all invited this in. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, you guys got sick and tired of the way the world was, and you you requested that the kingdom show up. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus says what is true, it is a God-initiated reality. Let me say those words again. It is a God-initiated reality. He came to us. We did not come to Him. He came to us and brought His kingdom. Brought His kingdom through His grace at the perfect time. And in this moment that we live, the words repent and believe the gospel are the words that are important. The disciples don't understand the kingdom yet. Here they are with the king of the kingdom, and they still don't understand it. Now, as Brandon pointed out a couple weeks ago, how many times did the disciples not get it? The answer was all the time. Uh, all the time. They are not getting it all the time, but they are, they are learning. Because when you get over to the book of Acts, and you see they, there's, a, there's a shift and a change in the way that they, they function and they operate. So Jesus says, though, this stuff about being like a child. What, what is he saying? How does a child receive anything? Does a child attempt to earn it? Now, as they get older, they do. Right? Because they have to learn that. They learn that they're being cute and that equals ice cream. They learn that, but they don't know that initially. So we got like acres right over here. Okay, sorry, Darian, I'm just pointing. Cute, adorable little kid. He he doesn't know yet how to earn anything. He is totally dependent on mom, totally to come in and feed him and dress. He he's not worried about it either. Now, if he's hungry, he'll let you know. I'm just like he let he lets you know. That could be at three in the morning. You know, that's the way babies work. But, but children, and I think that what Jesus is telling us is the way that you receive the kingdom is not to storm the gates of God's kingdom with your good works banner flying over your head. And I'm going to storm the gates of God's kingdom with my righteousness and my good works. That is not how this works. You aren't coming to God with your usefulness. You're not coming to God with your good deeds. You're not coming to God with how intelligent or righteous you are. You are coming to God. You better be coming to God. You must come to God like a child 
who merely receives, not demands, not, not earns, receives. In other words, the kingdom of God, to receive it like a child, to enter it, if you're not a child, you can't enter it, is to be a complete, trusting, childlike receiver. Not a grown-up, righteous doer. When you receive the kingdom of God, that's when you can start doing for the kingdom. But you're doing righteous things and works and all of that, that is never what gets you into the kingdom. What gets you into the kingdom is faith in Christ, period. And you simply receive that. So, to use the child analogy all the way, one of my favorite memories of my children, when they were babies in particular, is Saturday morning, because I'm not running around the house to go to work, Saturday morning, and you hear them in the crib, cooing, making all the baby noises. How many of you know what I mean? You can hear the little baby noises, and this is probably like November, we're getting close to Christmas, so they're in the warm, fuzzy pajamas, so just trying to maximize the cuteness of this memory. And they're in the warm, fuzzy little pajamas. And they're in there just staring up into the ceiling or the mobile or whatever you've got. And when you walk in the room, their faces explode in this giant smile. And their arms and legs are doing the little baby arms and leg thing. And they're just like, this is about all that they've got, right? Their arms are up. They know dad and mom's walked in the room. There is... Something good's coming. There's going to be food, or they're getting me out of this diaper, or something. It's going to be great. That is, I believe, what Jesus, that is the image that you should have of what Jesus is saying. If you think you're earning or blustering your way in, or I'm a, I'm a churchgoer, and I say the right things, and I don't do cuss words, then you need to step back and say, who am I trusting? To go to heaven. Am I, am I trusting me? That I'm doing all the right stuff? Or am I trusting the king of the kingdom? Because Jesus used these kids to say, this is the way the kingdom is received. Trusting like a child that doesn't even have it in their mind to earn it. Now they'll grow up and figure that out. I've already said that. They will. And that's right. As the kid gets older, they learn responsibility and you have to work. And and all that's true. But in order to enter the kingdom, we have to be receptive like a child. Verse 16 really hammers home the difference that God demonstrated in the middle of a culture that did not value children the same way. I want I just want you to picture it. Jesus, he's rebuked Pharisees, he's raised the dead, he's cast out demons. He said things that are so profound that it set the whole Capernaum area on fire with what in the world is this guy even talking about? And this Jesus, the king of the kingdom, 
He takes these kids in his arms and he blesses them, laying his hands on them. This is a picture of Jesus that you need to have. The same Jesus that told us about the wrath of God and the coming eternity of hell, just last chapter, is now grabbing these children that he just used as an example, brings them into his arms. This would have been not the normal thing for a Jewish rabbi to do and blesses them. That was important for the children themselves and for us to get an idea of the way I think we should look at children. The reason why we value raising our children in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. The reason why that is so important is because Jesus values them because they are in his image. They are his creation. Now for us, it's like, okay, well, Pastor Steve, that's really not a big deal for us because we, actually, I kind of prefer kids to adults anyway because it's just way easier to deal with them. I mean, there's several of you in here that would be like, yes, amen, praise the Lord. I'd much rather deal with kids than with adults. You know, they're, they're way better. Um, and then some of you are like, oh my gosh, I can't kids. So, okay. So, you know, we're all over the spectrum, but in a general sense, most of us in this culture value children, but in this culture, they didn't. So Jesus is going against the grain and saying, this is the value that the king of the kingdom places on children. And, and I, that should spread out into other areas in our life to say the raising of our children intentionally, specifically on purpose, teaching them and training them as the scripture says, in the fear and the nurture of the Lord is so important. We have a children's ministry here that is meant to supplement that. But church, if you aren't raising your children at home, the world will raise them for you. And even if you are raising them at home, we, we live in a culture where the world has access here just all the time into our lives, and it's really it includes us as well. And, and we have to, like children, say, Lord, I trust you with my child. I'm going to do everything I know to do to raise my child for you and for your kingdom. But ultimately, Lord, I've got to trust you to do work in their hearts and in their minds. The value that God places on these children is to compare it to the entrance into the kingdom. The picture that's painted of the love of God for kids and the care that is given to them, I've pray you will take out of here, now even if your kids are grown, they may have grandchildren or other people, that at the very least, that what you would do is say, I'm going to pray for the children that, that are in this church. I'm going to pray for the parents of the children that are in this church. I'm going to pray over them uh, that they would grow strong in Him and in the power of His might. And I'm going to look at myself and make sure that I am not one of these people that is storming the gates of God's kingdom with my own righteousness. 
And I better, I'm going to reevaluate and make sure that my heart is tender and receiving like a child, not somebody who says, look at what I've done. Praise the Lord. Let's stand up. We're going to be dismissed. That's why we love kids being in the sanctuary. It is a good reminder. It's a good object lesson. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for this day. God, I, I thank you for everyone that's here. I thank you for lessons like this of the kingdom of God, that it's not the biggest and the strongest. It's not what we've earned or what we've done. Lord, it is your grace that approach to us, your kingdom initiated by you, coming to rescue those who are in rebellion. Lord, your love is indescribable. Your mercy is indescribable. And we thank you for that. God, help us to be tender receivers like children and to value the children in our life, to view them as important in the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you you're with us this week as we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. If you did fill out a connection card, just put it in the back by the sound booth. We will see you next Sunday.